Welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 292 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and The Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. As always, I remind you, make sure you're subscribed, click that notification bell, hit the thumbs up, man. If you got to be a hater, go ahead and hit the thumbs down. That's better than doing nothing. At least hit one of them, all right? And uh, if you can't catch the live video, don't worry. The audio pod will be out tomorrow on podcast platforms around the world. Just search for Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner, and boom, you will find me. As always, I remind you guys, spread the word about the show, all right? And um, let people know, man, every single episode, I need you guys to tell people about this show. It's a word of mouth kind of thing that we got going here, all right? Uh, Subscriptions, likes, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff helps me out. So make sure that you're doing that, okay? TNC 292 for the week of December 4th. Holy shit, it's about to be almost the end of the year. Crazy, huh? This year has freaking flown by. Uh, So, had a great weekend. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I was with family. Um, I I told you guys last week, I was babysitting my little nephew, Luca. He's in his terrible twos. He only had a couple meltdowns. (laughs) He did pretty good. Reason being, my sister was in the hospital. She just gave birth to uh, her second son, named him Enzo. And so I am an uncle for the second time now. I have a little nephew, Luca, and a little nephew, Enzo. I think those two names go together great. Uh, I absolutely love Luca, and I loved the little man, Enzo, already. So my family is very, very excited. Of course, uh, it's a little bittersweet and surreal because my brother Anthony died a year ago and it sucks that he's not here to see all this, but he's here in spirit. Right. So, all right, uh, guys, we have a ton of stuff to catch up on. And uh, I see Kouster in the chat says RIP to Mr. P of course, talking about the great Patrice O'Neill. He died on this day 10 years ago. It's been 10 years since we lost Patrice O'Neill. One of my favorite comedians of all time, very politically incorrect, stepped in it often, but I loved Patrice. Um, and he was great on Opie and Anthony. You guys have heard me talk about that show before. That was the best radio show ever. Absolutely great. And uh, when Patrice O'Neill was on ONA, he crushed it every single time. I listened to some Patrice O'Neill clips today while I caught up on work. I listened to them often. Dude was just way, way ahead of his time. And uh, we, we miss him in the comedy community. Uh, those of us who like real comedy, guys who take risks and go for it. And Patrice certainly did that. All right. Uh, again, we have a lot to cover, guys. So uh, hold back on the phones, okay? Uh, we will get to phones, obviously, because I know you guys have a ton of opinions. I'm going to have to rant and rave on this episode, okay? Uh, <laughs> before I get into um, the review, though, let's hit some quick news and notes. And um, I'll plow through this. Before I get into news, I want to share some stuff with you guys. Uh, There are two cards here in Atlanta coming up uh, this Saturday, December 4th, and next Saturday, December 11th. Both of them will be streamed on the WBC network. I will be calling the fights from ringside both nights for the WBC uh, channel. So uh, make sure you check them out, man. This Saturday, let me share my screen here. At Buckhead Fight Club, it is college fight night. Now, how freaking cool is this? How often do you guys see college boxing? It is college fight night this Saturday in Atlanta, December 4th at Buckhead Fight Club. It is Georgia Tech versus University of Georgia. Again, I'll be calling the fights from ringside. Free live stream. 
on the WBC channel. So you have no excuse not to watch, okay? There's only one major card this Saturday. We'll talk about it, but it's on the zone. Some of you guys don't have the zone. So, uh, you know, hey, you can check this one out for free. And again, um, college rivalries are awesome. College sports are huge in America. We really should be bringing back college boxing. And Terry Moss at Buckhead Fight Club is doing everything she can to do that. She is the head coach of the Georgia Tech team. She trains them. And they're going to go up against University of Georgia. That's a big rivalry here in Georgia. So I'm learning, right? I'm, I'm, I'm new to this area, but so I'm learning. Uh, September, I'm sorry, Saturday, December 4th, this Saturday. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. First bell is at 7 p.m. So it's a pretty early show. I'll be calling the fights. So check out your boy. Check out these college kids. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I will post a link. In fact, I'll post this right here in the chat, this link for you guys. If I could copy it. Uh, I am not tech savvy. There we go. Okay. Copy. All right, here we go. I'm going to paste it here in the chat and I will uh, share this of course on all my social, but I want you guys to check this out because again, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. This Saturday, December 4th starts at 7 PM Eastern time. Uh, any of you guys in the Atlanta area that want to come get tickets and check this out live, let me know. Okay. I can get you in touch with people. Uh, for tickets, but you could just go to buckheadfightclub.com and get tickets there. Okay. Uh, but if you want to get a group group raid or something like that, if you and a few of your friends, family want to come out, just DM me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, I'll get you in touch with the right people so that you can get uh, a group of tickets and everything. Okay. Again, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. And I'm, I, I can't wait to call the fights. I love calling the fights from ringside. It's always fun to do that. Of course, I love being in the ring and doing my thing inside the ropes but as i get older <laughs> it's it's much more comfortable to be outside the ropes and just call the action man so i'm really looking forward to that uh before i go any further i also want to show you guys this and i shared this on my personal channel but i wanted to share it here on the show fight first foundation or i'm sorry feet first foundation feet first foundation uh, I want to thank Lukey Boxing for sending me this tea. Uh, these guys uh, are sponsored by the WBC, WBC Cares. And I talk about the WBC before, how they do a lot of charity work. Guys, look up Feet First Foundation and what they do. They work with youth. They use boxing to um, improve the uh, improve and maintain the confidence, uh, the the mental health, the discipline of kids. I love what these guys do. They have an awesome website. Go there, check it out. They actually have a program where they'll teach you uh, what they do with the kids. And you can bring that to your organization, whether it's a church or school, whatever it is. And uh, you can teach the program to children as well. So I love what they're doing at Feet First Foundation. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks and months on my show. But I just wanted to give them a quick plug, okay? And again, I've talked about it on my personal YouTube channel. I just wanted to get a plug in here on rings channel as well so make sure you check them out just google them and look at what they're doing it's pretty freaking awesome all right some quick news um we're, can we just start calling pbc it's it's premier boxing champions but i think i'm going to start calling them pay-per-view boxing champions because boy do they like to do pay-per-views so it was announced last week that uh, luis ortiz and charles martin two of the all-time great heavyweights i'm, I'm kidding of course are going to headline a new year's day pay-per-view card from Hollywood, Florida. Uh, 
just to put this into perspective, Luis Ortiz, who's 4,000 years old, uh, fought once in 2020, has not fought at all this year. Charles Martin uh, fought once in 2020, has not at all fought once this year. Remember, he walks the, the earth like a god, though. Um, look, if these two were fighting on New Year's Day on Fox during the afternoon, I think this would be really, really cool. I'd be all uh, on board with that. And there's a couple of interesting heavyweight fights on this card and stuff. But, man, go with a pay-per-view. And this is like college football game day, right? New Year's Day, there's all these bowl games. You're going to go up against the bowl games on pay-per-view? Are you shitting me? Good luck with that. Um, that's a pay-per-view I won't be getting. How, again, if this was on regular Fox or FS1 or something, or even if they were streaming it, I, does Fox have an app? I know Showtime does. If they were streaming this, that'd be smart business. And I think that'd be a lot of fun because a lot of you guys are going to be probably still a little drunk on New Year's Day, and you're going to be recovering that afternoon. Who wouldn't want like to watch some fights? But you want to shell out an extra 40 bucks after you drop 200 at the bar the night before? I don't think so. Also announced, uh, this fight will take place in Manchester, February 19th. Amir Khan versus Kel Brook. Some people are excited. Some people are appalled. Look, we always knew they were eventually going to do that fight, right? Because it, it's there. So, yeah, is it 10,000 years past its due date? Sure, sure. It's it's well past its due date. It's well past its best weight, but it'll do it'll do some business. People will buy and watch this fight. Now, most people will probably stream it because I think it's going to be Sky Sports pay per view over there in the UK. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not surprised by this. I'm not appalled by this at all. It, it makes it makes perfect sense to me. <clears throat> all right, um, let me jump into comments real quick before I get into. The review, and oh boy, it's going to be a doozy today, guys. <clears throat> it's going to definitely be a doozy. Let's see. Uh, CJ is already in the chat. He usually comes on late. What's up, CJ? Um, Luke says, so happy for Cambosis. Great win. Long live the king. And uh, Captain Hill Chronicle says, people learn English. Listen to the show. Oh, Ahmed says, salute, MOB. Salute to you, sir. Christopher says, present present mitch Pryor says rant and rave never aha i see what you did there hey i like to rant and rave it is what it is after being around family all weekend there was a lot of ranting and raving it's actually i'm, I'm at home now alone tiffany my wife stayed back with my sister for a couple weeks to help her with the baby it's nice and quiet in my house i'm having a great day guys joe surratt says hi mob i put money on cambosis damn well joe then you got paid because those odds were crazy, my man. Those odds were insane. CJ says, the day after Thanksgiving is forever an unofficial holiday. RIP Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, man, I, I miss Patrice so bad. The, by the way, the day after Thanksgiving, I ain't go shopping. I ain't do shit. I took my little Luca, uh, my little nephew Luca for a walk, and then we went to the brewery. And they had this back room, this playroom where he could run around and play. And I sat there and drank beers with my dad and my wife. That, that shit was pretty cool, man. <clears throat> Ray says, walks to earth. That's right, man. Walks to earth on pay-per-view now, apparently. <clears throat> Twal says, the most avoided heavyweight ever versus former world champ, Ortiz versus Martin. Leave out the details. Yeah, that's definitely how it's going to be marketed. You know how it is. 
Megalodon79 says, long live George K, the emperor. And boy, was he the emperor the other day. Mendeli says, Cambosis got me $400 on a $30 bet. Damn. Man, I need to start betting. I, you know, I don't gamble, but um, man, I could probably make some freaking money. It's just, you know, I, I just don't want to open up that, that can of worms, as they say. I grew up around wise guys that literally paid their mortgage and their mistress's mortgage, and they're, they're, you know, they paid several mortgages, just milking dudes who are degenerate gamblers. I mean, I just grew up in a neighborhood around all that. Uh, drugs was around, people were dealing drugs, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the 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 bread and butter, it didn't matter what, if the economy was good, bad, whatever, you can always depend on degenerate gamblers to to owe you money, man. I just so I just never wanted to gamble. I never wanted to do drugs either. Seeing, seeing that shit, but seeing degenerate gamblers, like I could just never understand, you know, and these, these guys would be into to bookmakers for thousands of dollars, you know? And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm never gambling. Never, never gambling. Uh, Sam says, uh, Figueroa got robbed. I don't know about robbed. We'll talk about that later for show. We're going to talk about that. Rich Lopez in the chat. He says, Mike, what's up, man? Good to have you on, Rich. Sam says, Russell got a gift decision also. Now, that one's interesting. That was a tough fight for one of the 18 Russell brothers that actually had a fight. Uh, Mark says, man, I had a feeling about Cambosis too. Look, I told you. Look, you guys know I, I, I favored Lopez to win, you know, and I thought it'd be a, a decision, maybe a late stoppage, but I thought he'd win, but I thought it'd be competitive. And it was it was crazy when I was seeing tweets from people saying, oh, second round knockout, third round knockout. Now, to be clear, I said all along, that's not a pay-per-view fight. Because remember, that was originally a fucking pay-per-view. And I said, this isn't a pay-per-view fight. So I kind of, you know, dissed the fight in that respect. But I always thought this was a fairly competitive matchup. And I got to give a shout out to my coach, Christian Steele. Uh, who told me all along, he goes, dude, George, George is going to do this. He told me, he told me earlier this year, like January, February, we were talking about it. When I just started training with him, um, he was telling me, because he knew George, he knows George, and, and I, he he called it. He's been calling it all year. And, you know, I texted my coach this week, and I'm like, dude, you, you fucking called it, man. I had to tell him. All right, let's get into this. Um, let's get into this preview. I'm sorry, review. Oh, I can't get my words straight. And I'm just, let, let's just jump right into it, guys. Saturday, November 27th, Matthew Mondesano, Madison Square Garden Theater, New York. George Cambosis Jr. improves to 20-0 with 10 knockouts with a split decision win over Tiafima Lopez. Gives him his first loss. Wins the undisputed lightweight championship. Um, it, this, is, this has to be the upset of the year, okay? And I, I know a lot of you guys will say, well, what about um, Sandor Martin beating Mikey Garcia? No, th this is bigger. Uh, what about uh, Kiko Martinez uh, coming back to knock out Kid Galahad? Nope, this is bigger. This wasn't a flu KO uh, in a fight that one guy was losing, like, like Kiko Martinez. This wasn't uh, Sandor Martin fighting a guy that's basically half-retired in his brain and, and overrated anyway in Mikey Garcia. This is a mandatory, okay, and the odds for this fight, you guys saw, I mean, just, I read some of the comments. Mendeli said a $30 bet got him 400 bucks, right? I think the odds are like minus 1,500, something crazy. A mandatory from Australia who had never been tested on this level. He had fought a couple quality guys 
and, and barely won those fights. He won them, but they were close. Comes over and fights the guy that uh, came off the best performance by a young American boxer in a generation. You know, and that, that was Tiafima Lopez when he beat Lomachenko late last year. So uh, this was huge. And this wasn't, again, fluke knockout, catching a guy, you know, past his prime, whatever. No, this was two dudes in their physical prime. And Cambosis won the damn fight over 12 rounds. Dropped Tio. Tio ain't been dropped since I want to say it was like his pro debut or something. He got dropped. It was a flash knockdown. No, he was hurting this fight. Busted up, bloodied. Uh, Cambosis was down and hurt in the 10th round. I thought he was really, really hurt. And I actually thought at that point, my, my literal thoughts were shit. Tio's got two rounds to follow up on this. He cut the distance down. Cambosis gave it a good run. And it looks like my prediction is going to come out pretty much spot on. Tio had a tough fight. He showed some grit, came back, and he's going to knock him out in the 11th, 12th round and get the W and escape with a close one. That was my thought. And what happens in the 11th round, man? Cambosis comes out and wins emphatically, decisively wins that 11th round and cuts Tia Fimo. Uh, and, and Lopez just wasn't the same after that, dude. And then let's talk about real quickly about the 12th round. Um, a lot of people surprisingly scored that round, including two of the judges scored that round for Tiafima Lopez. And I don't know what the fuck you guys were watching. In the last two rounds, in the 11th and 12th round, Cambosis outlanded Lopez 41 to 16. Outlanded. And most of those were um, power punches, by the way. 41 to 16. Now, I'm no math genius, but that's more than double. That's about two and a half times. 250% outlanded Lopez. In the 12th round, Cambosis outlanded Lopez 26 to 9, 24 to 7 in power punches in the 12th round. And some of you gave that 12th round to Tio. I don't know what the fuck you're smoking, but pass that shit, homie. Because I, I just, that's not what I saw. I saw Tio make a last stand in that 10th round and drop Cambosis in. Most fighters in Cambosis's uh, position right there would have faltered, right? They, they, because I, 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 you guys all saw him like stumbling back to his corner after that 10th round. He was hurt, man. His, his legs were shaky, wasn't all there. And we all saw it. It looked like, okay, Tio's got him now, right? This dude comes out in the last two rounds and again, outlands 41 to 16. And in the 12th round, and this is where it comes down to corners. And oh boy, are we going to talk about corner work today. If you are in Teofimo Lopez's corner and you know you just lost that 11th round, right? You just gave up that 11th round after you had your man hurt but couldn't close the show. Going into that 12th round, would you not be imploring your fighter, dude, you got to win this round big. You got to at least put him down one more time. Maybe you got to knock him out to win this fucking fight. You're losing this fight. Go out, balls out, empty the gas tank. Wouldn't you be telling that to your fighter? Tio Senior was like, nah, dog, take your time. Calm down. Bro, go knock this motherfucker out. Like that's, he, did, he was all over the fucking place, right? His advice was terrible. Oh, you win in the fight. You win in the fight. But, but you got to knock this motherfucker out. Quit playing. All over the place. Meanwhile, in Cambosis's corner, going into that 12th round, they were like, hey, man, don't leave this shit up to the judges. Don't give them any excuses. I'm paraphrasing, but go out there and volume. 
punch your ass off. And that's what he did. And he simply outworked T.O. in the 12th round. And this scenario reminded me of, I mean, there's a bunch of examples I could bring up, okay? But I was ringside when Canelo Alvarez fought Irislandi Lara. And Irislandi Lara was the veteran fighter in that situation, right? He, he was uh, the boxer, the more skilled guy, quote unquote, at least on, on paper. I had him ahead after nine rounds. Going into the championship rounds, I had him ahead. And I guarantee you, regardless of what he says, Canelo Alvarez and Reynoso and that team, they had Lara ahead after eight or nine rounds too. Because Canelo came out in the championship rounds and put a stamp, like he, he stamped his foot down and said, this is my fucking victory. I'm taking this shit. And that's what he did. And I thought that he pulled out that victory against Lara. And that's what I thought we were going to see from Tio here. I expected that Canelo-esque type of thing. Um, and he didn't do it. The 10th round, he kind of shot his wad and that was it. And it was actually Cambosos who rose another level in those final two rounds and took this win. Uh, so the scores, Glenn Feldman had at 115-112 and Frank Lombardi had at 115-111. So... Both guys were knocked down, so that's basically eight rounds to four, and it looks like Feldman had maybe eight rounds to eight rounds to four, or maybe uh, with one round even. Okay, and that's how they got to their scorecards. Don Trella had this fight one thirteen or once. I'm sorry, one fourteen, one thirteen for Lopez. So that means he saw seven rounds for Tiafima Lopez. Don used to be a good judge, but increasingly in recent years, he's had questionable scorecards where he tends to give the benefit of the doubt to the A-side. I believe he was one of the judges in the first fight between Canelo and, and Golovkin. And he scored, I think it was maybe the 10th round. Don't quote me here, guys. But it was one of the later rounds that even Adelaide Bird scored for Triple G. He scored it for uh canelo correct me if i'm wrong here i might be getting my judges and fights mixed up but i'm pretty sure it was him anyway either way trella has had some questionable scorecards in recent years i don't know how you see seven rounds to tiafima lopez in this fight i, I just i just don't know you'd have to bend over backwards to give him five or six rounds the best you could do for tio in this fight was a draw you could go as far as eight rounds to cambosos you could go as close as six rounds apiece if you're given every benefit of every doubt to Tiafima Lopez. So I thought Don Trello's scorecard was shit. And for, for the two, two of these judges to give that 12th round to Tio, again, go back and watch that shit and just look at who did the work, who punched more, who landed more. It was Cambosos. And that was the most impressive part to me was how he finished this fight and how he put a stamp on it to, to where you could really leave no doubt. Had, had Tio won the 11th and 12th on my card, he would have won this fight. Had he just won one of those rounds, it would have been a draw on my card. And he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. Okay. Let me share a couple of tweets with you guys because I, I have to share these tweets and maybe explain them a little bit to get into uh, some, of, some of my rants, okay? So real quick... Um, I want to share, first of all, a meme with you. And of course, I took some heat on Twitter for this. So uh, 
<laughs> this is uh, for, for those of you listening to the audio. I just tweeted, who did this? Right. And it's a meme of Tiafima Lopez with his busted up face saying, I won 10 of 12 rounds. Change my mind. Right. And you guys see the response, man. Over 300 retweets, almost 2000 likes. So I had a couple viral tweets this weekend. Uh, and this was one of them. But a lot of people responded to me like, oh, why are you hating on him? First of all, I didn't make the fucking meme. I just shared it. I didn't make it. I just I just shared it because guess what? It's funny. And I'm not trying to beat up on anybody when they're down. But he knows in his heart of hearts, Tio Jr. and Tio Sr. both know they didn't win no damn 10 rounds in this fight. In the way that they responded before the fight, during the fight, and particularly after the fight, um, was just cringe at times. When Tio Jr. grabbed the mic, I want to say he grabbed the mic from Cambosos or whoever was doing the post-fight interview. I can't remember who was doing the post-fight interview. Um, but he took the mic from him and went on this bizarre rant where his dialect changed, his accent changed. I'm like, when the fuck did Tiafima Lopez turn into Slim Shady? He he sounded like Eminem all of a sudden. I'm like, well, why are you talking like this, dude? He went on this bizarre rant with some religious references and, and references to family and all this kind of shit. And then he says that he won the fight and he dominated the fight and he got robbed and this, that, the other. And then later on, we hear Tio Sr. saying, um, yeah, we won 10 rounds. They really, really doubled down on that, okay? It wasn't just an immediate emotional reaction. Later on that night, you guys have seen some of the interviews posted on social media. These dudes have both been saying that they dominated this fight and they got robbed. So there's a certain level of delusion there and just flat out ignorance. Um, so let me share one other tweet real quick. And then I'll get into some ranting. Uh, where is it at? Where is it at? Oh, here we go. Okay. Now, again, I'll read this for those of you listening to the audio pod. And again, this one, this one went viral too, man. A lot of responses here. Let me see. Let me quick the, let me click on the tweet activity. 155,000 impressions this tweet did. Okay. So I, I got a lot of traffic on Twitter this weekend. Uh, that says, I can't think of a fighter in recent years who's fallen off the mountaintop as swiftly and sharply as Tiafima Lopez has. You think of where he was at the beginning of this year and where he is now with a catastrophic example of career mismanagement. And once again, I took some heat for that. And there were some people that were triggered. And people were trying to say that I'm a hater. And they were adding their own context. They were adding their own verbiage and adding stuff that I didn't say. So let me just put this on record, okay, and explain that tweet. Here's what I did not say. I did not say that Teofimo Lopez Jr.'s career is over. I did not say he's a hype job. I did not say he won't recover from this. I did not say that everyone should pound on the guy when he's down. I didn't say any of those things. If you are adding that, and that's what you're interpreting from my tweet, that's on you, homie. That's your own prejudices and biases and <clears throat> insecurities coming through. Because I didn't say any of that in my damn tweet. Here's what I was saying. The, the handling of Teofimo Lopez Jr.'s career, subsequent to his big, big coming out party, his launching pad win against Vasily Lomachenko late last year, has been catastrophically bad. It has been a fucking circus clown shit show. 
a steaming hot pile of shit in the sun. That's what it's been. Okay. And I'm not talking about top rank because let me be clear about this. Top rank had a plan. Top rank's business plan. And all you guys got to do is Google. It wasn't that long ago. You can look this shit up. Don't take my word for it. But their business plan was essentially, look, you got this mandatory fight against Cambosos. Um, we want to knock this shit out in March or April. It's not a big fight. It's a, it's a two and a half, three million dollar fight. We're going to knock this shit out. And then we're going to get to a Lomachenko rematch. That's the lucrative fight. We're going to do that in the summer, maybe early fall. You get those two W's, and then if you are health, feeling healthy enough and you want to do it, you got a voluntary defense at the very end of the year against a soft touch. You name whoever the fuck you want, you got it. And then you're going to dump your 135 titles, having had defended your undisputed championship two or three times, having two wins against a future Hall of Famer in Lomachenko, and having made several million dollars in 2021. You're still on the pound-for-pound pound list. You're still the undisputed lightweight champion. You dump your lightweight titles. You announce you're moving up to 140. We start building you up there in 2022. That sounds like a pretty good plan, right? I don't know. Top Rank has been in this business for 50 plus years. They kind of know what they're doing. As I have explained a bunch of times on the show, the last few faces of the sport, they built them. I won't go down the list of names for the 500th time. You guys know them. They built these fighters, okay? They know what they're doing. The, the roads were paved with gold for Tiafima Lopez. There wasn't much struggle. He signed with top rank, and there was a manicured, beautifully landscaped path for him to walk down. And they beautifully crafted his career and guided it up until that fight with Lomachenko, where it was his fight to, to lose. He had all the physical advantages in that fight. The only disadvantage he had was in terms of experience. Gets the W, shocks the world, right? And is in position going into this year to truly, to live up to his moniker, take over shit, right? Of all the, the, the five young pups that we talk about, right, around the lightweight division, Tio had accomplished more than all of them in one night, accomplished more than all of them combined. In one night. And that was Top Rank's guidance. I sound like a PR person for fucking Top Rank. Let me be clear. Top Rank does a ton of shit that I don't agree with. And uh, they're part of the problem in a lot of ways, just like every other promoter. But they are the best promoter in the business. And they really know what the fuck they're doing. Okay. And they guided this kid's career to this beautiful launching pad. Then Tio's team just went crazy. They thought. The, the only, I'm trying to think of like a, a scenario where I, I, that makes sense, like a comparison. Think of it, think of like when human beings landed on the moon, right? Tiafima Lopez and his team thought that beating Lomachenko was landing on the moon. What they didn't realize is it was just taking off. That win was the rocket taking off from Cape Canaveral or whatever the hell, I don't even know where the Apollo missions flew from. Uh, Houston, wherever it wasn't, they weren't, they didn't land on the moon. They just took off the, the rocket. Just, just took off, off the ground. That's what that fight was. That's what that W was. And this is a problem I see with a lot of these young fighters now, particularly, I hate to say this, but particularly American fighters, young American fighters. These dudes get one big W 
And they think they're fucking Floyd Mayweather. They think they're Oscar De La Hoya. They think they're Mike Tyson. They think they made it. Nah, nah, dude. That one big W is your... Tiafima Lopez beating Lomachenko. That was his introduction to the casual sports fan base. That was his introduction to uh, the mainstream sports media. Because that rating that they did on... Remember, that fight was regular ESPN. And Lomachenko made concessions to get that fight done. Uh, unlike this fight between Lopez and Cambosos. Um, so, and top rank did as well. ESPN, all parties involved did. It was on regular ESPN, not pay-per-view. It did a big rating. It did one of the best ratings in recent years for a regular non-pay-per-view fight like that. And um, a lot of people got to see who Tiafima Lopez was. That was his introduction, dude. You ain't made it. You're just starting to get on the radar. And I see it over and over and over and over again. Uh, some of these guys, they might not even have a win like that, but they have a win where they get a piece of a title or something. They get $200,000, $300,000. That's enough money. You know, I grew up in Detroit. That's enough money to buy a really nice house in Detroit or St. Louis or here in Atlanta. So these guys get a little bit of money like that, and they buy a car and they buy a house. They're like, I'm fucking, I got it made, homie. They're 23. They got 60, 70 more years to live. They don't think long game, right? These guys don't listen to their team that they have around them, or they don't listen to the, the smart people they have around them. Maybe they listen too much to their direct team who isn't so smart. So in the case of Tiafima Lopez, I'm not going to go down the whole uh, scenario with the, with the purse bid earlier this year, and I'm not going to break that down tit for tat. I'll just say this much, guys. Top rank was trying to negotiate the Lopez Cambosos fight in January. That purse bid, that shit feels like it was a couple months ago. That shit was in February, yo. That whole thing was playing out 10 months ago, guys. And they wanted to knock that shit out. And, and I get it. Grandpa Bob's cheap. He put up like two point something million. Eddie Hearn put up three point something million. And then Triller comes in with this massive bid, right? It's like double matchrooms and like triple top ranks. And what does Tio and his team do? Oh shit. Show me the money, right? Boom. They go in with Triller. What happened there? Triller defaulted, right? And the, the date venue promoter and network platform of this fight has changed like eight times, dude. It changed cities. It changed zip codes, uh, time zones. It changed. It was from, it was from what ESPN to Triller pay-per-view, to the zone. Has you ever seen a fucking fight like this change so many different places? And then there's COVID in the mix, if you believe that. Because it was, what, the week of the fight that this shit was supposed to go down? I think Florida. And then, oh, I got COVID. But okay, maybe maybe you do. Okay? It just looked a little suspicious. I'm just saying, it's been this ride, right? And all of this, 100% of it, was on Team Lopez. And what's crazy is I'm seeing people on Twitter saying, oh man, Triller fucked him. This is this is Triller's fault. Triller fucked you. Really? What the hell are you talking about, dude? Triller doesn't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to boxing. They've had a couple of big events, but they have more to do with the music acts, right? When it comes to boxing, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. I saw people immediately asking, dude, what if these guys default? As soon as they won that purse bid, that was one of them. I was like, damn, what if they default? 
And it ends up they default and went to the second highest bidder, which was Matchroom. And that's how we got to where we got to. But to put any of this on Grandpa Bob and top rank, because they didn't bid enough for what you guys out there feel they should have bid for that fight, is if you know more than they know, they've only been in the business for a half a century, and you're some guy sitting on your couch crushing a fucking hot dog or something. But because they didn't bid as much as you think they should have bid, it's it's somehow it's it's Bob Aram's fault that T.O. lost Saturday because Triller has no idea what the fuck they're doing. And they grossly overbid for this fight and then completely ruined the promotion. Uh, it was a catastrophe and then defaulted. It's somehow their fault that T.O. lost this fucking fight. Are you serious? T.O. Sr., the trainer, right? The, the, the one who's guided his son to where he is now. Do you know what he was doing before the fight? When Tio Jr. was warming up in the dressing room, do you know what Senior was doing? He was out in the audience talking to fans, and he was inside the ring doing a dance-off with his son's belts in front of the fans. He wasn't back there humbly getting his fighter ready. He was dancing and shucking and jiving and taking photos and doing YouTube video interviews on people's cell phones out in the crowd. That's what Tio Sr. was doing. It's kind of sad because Teofimo Lopez Sr. is living vicariously through his son. And if you can't see that, then you're motherfucking Ray Charles, okay? Because it's pretty clear. It's sad to see. And for the record, I didn't like what I saw with this guy two, three years back when everyone thought he was awesome. I remember the, the Lopez's being on... Uh, the three knockdown rule podcast, Steve Kim and Mario Lopez's podcast. And I remember listening to that while, while I was in the gym. And again, this goes back several years. Okay. This is before the Lomachenko fight, all that. And Tio senior talked 90% of the show straight up. He talked more than both hosts combined. Tio junior got 10 words in the entire fucking show. And I said, right then and there, this guy's trouble. This dude's trouble. And that's something I see with fathers a lot. Um, there, there's a, a prospect that I saw fight here in Atlanta. I, I know his former publicist. I know his new publicist. Um, he's having the same issue right now with his father and can't even see that yet. That's a train wreck coming. I can, I'm not even going to name the kid's name, but uh, he's nowhere near as accomplished as Tiafima Lopez. This is something I see with a lot of these father-son trainer relationships where the father is living vicariously through their kid. And Tio Sr., for the last year, has been going around and doing all these media events, acting like he won the fucking belts, acting like he's the one who's run thousands of miles, taken thousands of punches, bled in sweat, and he was the one who went in there and beat Lomachenko. It's been kind of crazy to see. And so I'm not blaming Sr. entirely for this loss. Of course not. Uh, Tio Jr., again, he's the guy in the ring that's got to perform. But did you guys hear the corner advice? It was fucking awful. And I was tweeting that during the fight. This is awful. And the cut man didn't do very well. That entire corner was unprepared. It was clear that they took Cambosos way too lightly, which happens. But if you take your opponent lightly and, and suddenly it's like, oh, shit, okay, we're in a real fight, you got to be able to regroup, make adjustments and show that level of professionalism. And the corner just didn't have that. Here's what, I, here's what it looks like right now. 
Okay, we'll find out in the coming months and years. But it looks like Tio Sr. is one of these guys that groomed his son and deserves a lot of credit because he really did groom and guide and raise a son that became one of the best martial artists on earth in boxing. Okay, he does deserve some credit for that. Absolutely does. And they targeted Vasily Lomachenko specifically. He saw something in Lomachenko that they could exploit style-wise the first time around. They didn't want to do a series of fights with Loma because two, three fights that ain't going to work out as well. But they knew that they could surprise him stylistically, that they brought certain things to the table and they could exploit certain things from Loma the first time around before Loma kind of caught up to what they were doing, which he did in the second half of their first fight, by the way, or their only fight, I should say. Um, and great game plan for Lomachenko. Called him out, went out there and did the damn thing. Cool, man. Cool. But against a much lesser fighter, no disrespect to Cambosos, but he is a lesser fighter than Lomachenko. He's not as good as Lomachenko. He's just not, okay? And there's no, shit, there's no, there's no harm in that. But that's the real. Against a lesser fighter, who had less dimensions, you couldn't make adjustments. You couldn't give your, your fighter technical advice and explain what was happening. How did Cambosis continue to land overhand right hands? How did he continue to land that left jab, left hook combo? Over and over and over. How did he continue to land body punches? How did he continue to land punches and then get out before Tio could counter? How was he able to see every punch Tio was throwing? So even when Tio hit him with flush hard shots, Cambosos was able to just roll with it just enough to where he was able to absorb it and continue. How was he able to do that, dude? How were they able to see all those things and make adjustments, including, as I talked about minutes ago, the championship rounds of this fight after being hurt, they made an adjustment. 11th, 12th round, clearly won those rounds. How were they able to outmaneuver you, dude, if you're this amazing maestro of a trainer? Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. So I think right now for Tiafima Lopez Jr., obviously it's a it's a move up to 140 next. And he needs somebody on his team to sit him down alone, away from daddy, away from David McWaters, the, the manager who is completely out of his depths. Get him alone in a room and talk some real to him. And not just some real about what happened against Cambosos, but some real about the fight with. Lomachenko, because they've been going around saying, oh, man, we won 10, 11 rounds of that fight. And a lot of you same motherfuckers out there that had that shit, like 10 rounds to two, somehow found a way to give Lopez this fight against Cambosos. Just stop. Lopez beat Lomachenko, but Lomachenko won the second half of that fight, four rounds to two. He found something after fighting like shit in the first half, basically not even fighting. And there was something that happened there, a little tweak something that he caught up to and something that he sounds, something, something he found and discovered that Team Lopez knows deep down inside. And Bob Arum and Top Rank have been adamant that they wanted to do a rematch this year between Lopez and Lomachenko. And what did Team Lopez say? Oh, we ain't doing a rematch. Fuck that. Fuck Lomachenko. We don't like him. We're not doing a rematch. The guy you've been targeting for a decade, according to Tio Sr., you don't want to do a rematch? The guy that is the most lucrative fight option you have available right now in terms of guys who will actually fight you, you want to do a rematch? The guy that you won 10, 11 rounds against and dominated, could have knocked out, but you just took, you took off the gas in the later rounds. You don't want a rematch? 
Yeah, you need to hear some hard truth about that fight. Not just this fight against Cambosos. Uh, there's some hard truth that this kid needs to hear. And then you need to do a rebuilding and restructuring of that whole team and move them up to 140. I'm not one to put everything on a trainer and a team uh, when somebody suffers a first loss like this, but clearly there is an issue there. And they need to bring in uh, another coach, even if they want to keep senior around, which I don't think is a good idea. Uh, and look, I get it that apparently Tiafima Lopez had some family issues coming into this fight. Him and his baby mama, uh, wife broke up. The mom never liked him anyway. The dad or the mom never liked her. The dad liked her. It, it, there's just all this turmoil. I get it. You know what? How about you get them away from all that shit? How about you take him out to the top ranked compound out there in Las Vegas and get him around people that are going to have him focus 100% on boxing. How about that shit? So it's, it's somebody at top rank because they made it a, a, a serious investment in this kid. They need to go and have a hard talk with him. And I think that um, if that happens and they make some changes, he's still a gifted fighter. He's still one of the bright young talents in this sport. Okay. His career is nowhere near being over and people comparing him to Adrian Broner and shit. That's not fair. Now he's delusional as fuck. And the things he said after the fight, they're almost as bad as Deontay Wilder. Not quite that bad. He didn't accuse anybody of attempted murder. He didn't accuse his dad of spiking his water. But um, there is a certain level of delusion there, and they need to be brought back down to earth. And that starts with getting that father out of the fucking corner because his father is just living vicariously through his son and walking around pretending like, first of all, he dresses and acts like he's fucking 22 years old. Secondly, he's going around acting like he won the damn belts. All that shit is just a massive distraction, and it's keeping the focus away from boxing. All right. All right. Let's get to some super chats. And then I'm going to get into the rest of this review. Uh, Ray Valero with the super chat. Thank you so much, brother. He says, Tio's dad also said the first knockdown wasn't a hard shot. And Lopez was only off balance on top of the contradicting instructions. Just horrible. Absolutely correct. Tiafima Lopez was hurt with that punch. You know why? Look at the way he fought the next few rounds. Look at the way he fought the middle rounds of that fight that Cambosis kind of pretty much swept. Uh, yeah, it's because he was hurt because he didn't want to get hit with that shot again. Was he like badly hurt? Was he as hurt as Cambosos was at the end of the 10th? No, I don't think that. I actually think Cambosos was more hurt because it was in the 10th round. He was tired. But look at the response from Cambosos in the subsequent rounds to him being dropped versus Tio's response from him being dropped. That tells you everything you need to know, guys. Mark Ashley with the Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, two fights in a row where the father trainer seems to be the problem. So often a bad combination. You are so right, Mark. And look, there are father-son combinations who accomplished great things in this sport. The Calzaghis, great, great things there. But there was a dynamic between the two of them where Enzo Calzaghi never pulled any punches with his son. And he told them what the fuck was up. He didn't blow smoke up his ass. And too many of these father trainers, they do that and or live vicariously through their kids. Uh, Danny Garcia's father is another one that I just, oh, I'm like, why are we hearing more from Angel Garcia than Danny Garcia? What the fuck? Did Enzo Calzaghi ever do that with Joe Calzaghi? Nope. Didn't do it. All right. Let's see. I know we had more super chats. Let me make sure I get to them. Comment section's on fire today. Uh, Toreen Falk with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, when Bob lost all his star heavyweights to Don King and still survived, 
Who the fuck is Tia Fiba Lopez and is drunk off a of father to Bob <laughs> is drunk of a father to Bob Arrow? Uh, good point. Um, I, I, I can't put it quite as articulately as you did, my friend, but yeah, you make a great point. Look, Bob Arum in top rank, again, I'm not trying to be a PR guy for top rank. There's plenty of things they do that drive me nuts, but they've been in this game for a long, long time. And they knew that one thing Grandpa Bob doesn't do, he, he's, he's cheap. He is not going to overpay his fighters. He doesn't do it. Uh, if he overpays a fighter, it's on the back end of a contract after they've done business together for years. And he has done that. But there was no way he was going to overpay for this Tio Cambosos fight. The truth is, guys, this fight should have been knocked out in March or April. We should be talking about a rematch between Tio and Lomachenko right now. That's what we should be talking about. In fact, that should have already happened a couple months ago. That's what Top Rank wanted to do. And had Tiafima Lopez and his team just listened, yeah, maybe you don't get as much money for that one fight, but collectively with the two or three fights you would have had this year, you get significantly more money and you keep your fucking belts. Now you got paid less money overall. You sat in your ass for most of this year and didn't get paid. And it's not like he got significantly more money. Uh, Matchroom offered, I think, maybe a million dollars more. And Tio gets a, you know, the bulk of that. But it's like he ended up getting, I don't know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars more. By the time the tax man and his team gets, he got a couple hundred thousand dollars more in the end. And he lost all of his belts. So you tell me what was the smarter play. And the funny part is, I saw an interview where Tio Sr. Uh, after the fight was saying, Yeah, man, we should have just been nicer to top rank. We shouldn't have went to the zone. We, you know, we should have just been nicer to top rank. It's like, really, dude? You were the ones telling us, oh, we're playing chess. Y'all playing checkers. Fuck Grandpa Bob. Six months ago, that's what you were saying. Now it's, oh, we should have been nicer to, I just, this shit's hilarious. Sam with the super chat. Thank you, Sam. He says, Tio acts like he will dominate 140. I don't think so. He gets hit too much and is a predictable puncher. Regis and Taylor would beat him up. Oof. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I've been talking about a fight between, and by the way, that's what Top Rank wanted to do in 2022. They wanted a fight between uh, Tiafima Lopez and Josh Taylor at 140. That's really what, what they wanted because that would have been a huge fight. I think Taylor would probably be too much for him, but man, Regis Progray with his explosive power and the way he has shown the ability to take a punch, um, I think Regis Progray might beat this guy. Seriously. Seriously, man. Because remember, Regis had a close fight with Taylor. That was a close fight between those two. So let me see. Did I miss? Oh, no, there's one more. Feeling dangerous with the super chat. Thank you so much, brother. He says, hey, Mike, another crazy upset on a matchroom card. That's a good point. There is a theme with those matchroom cards. He says, uh, I couldn't watch your sh your last show live, but I heard you saying that Janibek should be made mandatory to boo-boo. Will there be a ruling on that soon? Yes, the WBO is going to have a ruling on that soon. I don't know the exact date. I believe it will be in December. Do not quote me on that. But yes, because Jaime Munguia basically told the WBO, I don't want to fight Bubu Andre. Don't want to fight him. So they are going to remove him, as, as I understand it, and bump Janabek up. The question is, are they going to mandate a fight? Are they going to mandate, hey, here's the date you got to negotiate a fight by this date or else it goes to Perspit? Like, I don't know any of that stuff, but there should be a ruling on that coming up in the next month or so. Absolutely. All right. I think I caught up on those. Whew. Whew, man. 
All right. <laughs> Continuing with the uh, with the review, uh, TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime, Park Theater, Las Vegas. Um, this was a, a fun PBC card, but I'm going to call it the majority decision card because every single fight was a majority decision. There was one judge had every single one of these fights a draw, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Gary Antonio Russell barely ekes by Alexandro Santiago in a bantamweight fight and majority decision. A lot of people felt Santiago might have eked this one out, but it was very, very close. He got in some good rounds against a tough, experienced guy. I think this fight's going to make Russell better. This is the kind of matchup that Gary Russell Jr. never really had as he was padding his record with like 30-plus wins before he fought Lomachenko. Uh, for Gary Antonio Russell, I think that you know he barely squeezed by there. Okay, I, I hear you. But I think that this is going to make him a better fighter. Uh, so this was a good matchmaking for him as a prospect. In the co-main, Raiz Salim improves to 19-0 with 12 knockouts with a majority decision over Mexican-born California fighter Eduardo Baez in a junior featherweight fight. This was another one where a lot of people were split, okay? If you look at the punch numbers, it looks like Alim dominated this fight. But Baez in the second half really made a big push and was landing some big, big right hands. And um, Alim took him well. But it, it was concerning if you're, you know, a, a member of Alim's team or a fan of his that he took so many shots like that. Uh, and, and I don't know how he's going to hold up in the second half of a fight against a guy like Stephen Fulton or Brandon Figueroa, somebody like that. Speaking of those two in the main event, uh, Fulton ekes out a majority decision against Figueroa. This was a junior featherweight unification. Fulton is now 20-0 but only eight knockouts. And as I said last week, um, and, and for the record, I thought Fulton was going to put on a statement-making performance. I thought that he was going to win nine rounds of this fight. That's not what we saw. But I did mention that his lack of punching power is going to cost him. And it really cost him in this fight because Figueroa is a big physical guy. I believe he's going to move up to featherweight next year. Uh, he's huge for this division. And the weight cut hurts him a lot, getting down to 22. Um, Fulton just, he, he much more skilled, sharper puncher, more accurate puncher, but couldn't, he, he muscled him pretty well at times, but Figaro just too big, too physical. And he couldn't hurt the guy. He just couldn't hurt him. And that made, played a toll. It made this fight very, very close. Two judges had this 116-112. David Sutherland had it 114-114. If you look at the compu box, punch numbers were pretty close, man. Um, Figueroa threw a lot more. He threw over a thousand punches, but he landed a few more too. But his accuracy was thirty percent. Figueroa's, or I'm sorry, uh, Fulton's accuracy was thirty-seven percent. Jabs, power punching, body punching, all pretty close. All pretty close uh, in terms of punches landed. So this really came down to who did you favor? The guy who is more active, who was who threw, I, let's see, he threw 300 plus more punches, Figueroa did, but he only landed about 40 more punches. So do you favor the guy that's throwing more punches or do you favor the guy who's more accurate and more crafty? I had no problem with Fulton getting the, the nod here. I, it felt like a 115-113 Fulton kind of fight. If you had to draw 
I wouldn't be against that, but I just thought Fulton edged it. I just thought he had a little bit more in this fight and he edged it. It was a good quality, fun fight. Uh, the 122-pound division, junior featherweight, is just a gift that keeps on giving. Pretty much every fight in that division is money. Uh, so if you ever see a fight in that division um, you know, on the schedule, make sure you check it out because they almost always live up to expectations. But how is Fulton going to fare? Daniel Roman, former champion Daniel Roman, called out Stephen Fulton after this fight. If those two fight each other next year, that is a damn good matchup. And Fulton will be favored. I think he should be. But Roman will be a very, very live dog. I'm calling it now. That will be a fantastic matchup if it can be made in 2022. Okay. Now, that's the review. I think I got all my ranting out of the way. I'm sure we'll have more. Let's get to the preview. Uh, this Saturday, December 4th, and I talked about, for those of you just getting on the show, I uh, talked about the fact that here in Atlanta, it's, there's a college fight night card. Georgia Tech is going up. The Georgia Tech boxing team is going up against University of Georgia's boxing team here in Atlanta at Buckhead Fight Club. It will be streamed, the live broadcast streamed for free, F-R-E-E, free. On the WBC network, I, yours truly, will be calling the action from ringside. Make sure you check that out because it's going to be a lot of fun. But um, Matchroom on the zone, MGM Grand Las Vegas, Devin Haney going up against Joseph Diaz Jr. for Haney's WBC lightweight title. I find it hilarious that Matchroom puts this on a week after the undisputed lightweight championship fight. Sneaky genius. Sneaky genius trolling from Eddie Hearn. Uh, Haney is 23 years old. Diaz, 29. Haney, a couple inches taller, seven inches longer reach. 71 inches to 64 inches. That is going to be significant in this fight. Also, Haney's orthodox. Diaz is a southpaw. So a lot of people there on uh, boxing social media, Twitter, what have you, are saying things like, um, I think we're going to see another upset. I think this is part two of what we saw last week. Guys, I don't see this fight that way. I just think that Haney is going to have a little too much craft, athleticism, length, height, even power to keep Diaz at bay. I think Diaz is a very live dog. Wouldn't shock me if Diaz pulled this out somehow. But I just favor Haney. And in fact, I favor him 116-112, something like I think he's going to win pretty clearly in this fight. That's just the way I see it. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but that's the way I see this fight. I just don't know if Diaz is going to be able to catch him with something real hard that hurts him, that changes this fight. It could happen, and it wouldn't shock me, but uh, I don't see it happening. Also on this card, Jessica McCaskill defending her undisputed welterweight championship against Argentinian Victoria Bustos who uh, lost to Cecilia Brecus in 2019 at welterweight and Katie Taylor in 2018 at lightweight. Uh, again, we keep going back to Katie Taylor has the best resume in all of women's boxing. They hate on her a lot. Jessica actually had some kind of critical things to say about Katie Taylor and her upcoming fight. Um, she was part of that The Zone broadcast this Saturday. It, I find that interesting because Taylor not only beat her, she beat the girl that she's about to fight this weekend. So I like Jessica. Jessica is, you know, good fighter, undisputed welterweight championship champion of the world. 
a very good looking, beautiful woman, um, you know, easy on the eyes, very articulate, good on the mic, all of it. But the Katie Taylor criticism didn't make a lot of sense to me. Also on this card, a uh, bunch of prospects, Montana Love, uh, 16 and 0, 140 pounder and uh, undefeated heavyweight Philip Hergovich on this card as well. And those are all pretty much showcase fights. I saw Montana Love fight earlier this year in Atlanta. Uh, he definitely has some skills. Unrivaled with the super chat. Wow, unrivaled. We haven't seen you in a while. What's up, Mark? Thank you. He says, you taking calls today, Mike? Yes, sir. As soon as I wrap up my preview here, we are taking calls. So get on the lines, my man, and we'll get you on. Let me see. Make sure I didn't miss any other super chats. Wow, man, the chat is just going freaking nuts today. Doesn't surprise me one bit. All right, hold on. I know I saw one more super chat. Want to make sure I hit it before we go any further. Sam, there's Sam again. Thank you, Sam. He says, I got a hunch that says Andre avoids Janabek at all costs and will complain no one wants to fight him. Brother, you're not alone in that hunch. It'll be very, very interesting and very, very telling if Janabek becomes the mandatory and Andre finds a way not to take that fight especially coming from him because he's the guy who's bitched about nobody wanting to fight him for pretty much his whole career. He's been crashing press conferences and things like that for years, right? So if he don't fight Janabek, that's going to be a bad look, real bad look. Okay, Sunday, December 5th, TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime pay-per-view from Staples Center, Los Angeles. Uh, let's talk about this undercard real quick. Mexico versus Colombia. Eduardo Ramirez versus Miguel Mariaga. Ten rounds, featherweights. Sergey Derevianchenko, old man, lost three of his last four fights. And those were all bruising, grueling fights. Going up against Carlos Adames. Style-wise, that's probably going to perform. Neither one of those guys hits very hard. And Sergey, a prime Sergey Derevianchenko handles Carlos Adames with ease. But right now... That's a highly competitive fight. Sebastian Fundora, the freak, all six foot five of him, 17 and 0 Southpaw, going up, going up against Spaniard Sergio Garcia, who's 33 and 0. Nice sparkling record, but this will be his first fight outside of Europe. This is a WBC junior middleweight eliminator. And uh, Fondoro is going to win this fight. Gervonta Davis, 25 and 0 in the main event, going up against Isaac Cruz for Davis's regular. Lightweight title. Oh, that was, yeah, that just, oh, that made me sick to my stomach just saying that. Um, I believe, I think, I haven't been, um, it hasn't been confirmed yet by anyone on the team, but I do believe I will be covering this event for ringtv.com. So you can look for my reports and my recaps on our website, uh, probably Sunday morning, because the main event probably won't start until Sunday morning. Look, guys, I'm going to cover this event. I'm going to cover it objectively, fairly. I'm going to give credit where credit's due for great performances and all that good stuff. But I'm also going to keep it real. I'm one of the few in the game that is not afraid to keep it real about what's going on with Team Tank Davis. So you can read the other guy. I'm not going to name their names. But you can read the other guys' recaps who do favors. They're going to sing the praises and say all sorts of really nice things, or you can read my recap, which is going to tell the truth about this event. And that doesn't mean I'm going to hate 
That doesn't mean I'm going to say a bunch of negative critical things. I'm just going to tell the truth about what it is. By the way, Ring Magazine does not consider Davis's title a title. So in my recap, I will not refer to his title. That might trigger some of you, but we do not consider him to be a title holder, Tank Davis at Lightweight. So when I do my report about the main event, it's not going to mention the title, okay? Just trigger warning for some of you out there because I know that's going to bother you. You're going to get your panties in a fucking wad. All right, it's time to go to the phones. Let's do this. It looks like Nacho is up first. So let's hit up Nacho. <clears throat> Nacho, what's up, man? The floor is yours. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Um, so just let me start off really quick with uh, Lopez and Camposo. Um, I definitely like your uh, nickname that you wrote on your Twitter handle, uh, Mike 10 to 2 Mike. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome. I, I, I was, like, enjoying that. Um, I totally agree with everything you've said about uh, Team Lopez and his father. Um, it's just become a real clown show over there. And having read the article about um, our unboxing scene earlier today, uh, kind of going into detail about some of the things that were going on behind the scenes with Lopez and uh, his personal life and every everybody that's, like, around him as far as his team. It's a sad situation. Um, it just seems like that guy's head wasn't in it. And you could kind of tell from the performance that he wasn't um, completely there. And it cost him. Um, I disagree with some of these people out here who are saying that, like, he's ruined and he's not going to be any good and yeah. all this other stuff. I think what will happen is he'll go back to top rank. They'll figure out a way to rehab his career. And then eventually he'll get a shot at those titles at 140, whether Josh Taylor has them or not. I mean, he's going to get a shot at 140 to get a they'll belt. Be vacant ti- they'll be vacant eventually. titles. By the time Tio fights for titles yeah. at 140, they'll be vacant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He'll he'll get a shot again. And his career will be fine. He'll be rebuilt. And I think the kid will have to kind of humble himself a little bit and just kind of figure out that he's going to have to go back to the drawing board after um, everything that happened. Um, I mean, as far as like what's happened in his career, it's totally on, on, on him, his father and the, the people, the yes men in his management that allowed him to get away with this stuff. It, it was just unbelievable that they allowed him to take control of the ship when they shouldn't have, they should have legitimately tried to steer him in a different direction. They didn't. And now it costs them, and now they have to go back and, and try to rebuild the kid, which I think will, you know, happen eventually. But, you know, time will tell how that goes. Uh, for Cambosos, you just have to give him his props. He went out there. He did what he had to do. He stood in the lion's den with Lopez. Even when Lopez uh, knocked him down in the 10th round, you still saw a guy who wasn't, like, out on his feet, and he knew what was going on. And he was able to rally. um the last couple of rounds and, and pretty much, you know, show that even though Lopez dropped him, he wasn't going to take him out. And that's a, that's a huge win for Cambosos. It's going to lead to life changing paydays. Um, hopefully the only thing I have an issue with Mike is all of these, uh, Monday morning quarterbacks after the fight, like Shakur Stevenson, uh, Ryan Garcia oh, yeah. and Devin Haney, all of a sudden throwing their, their hats into the ring saying, Oh, I'll fight this guy. Yeah. yeah, I see. I see. It would be a good fight between us. Like, really? 
like now all of a sudden you guys want a piece of, of the the champ when you wanted no part of uh Lopez with the exception of uh Devin Haney being the only one who uh on on paper said he was willing to fight him whereas everyone else just kind of kept quiet now all of a sudden all these guys want a piece of Cambosos I hope Cambosos goes back to Australia and he makes one of these guys prove that they're willing to travel down there to fight him because none of these guys deserve a shot at those belts. And so if they're going to, you know, get a shot, they should be, it should be on his terms, not anyone else's. Um, there was one other fight on that card, Mike, the, um, Ogawa Fuzili. Uh, oh, I'm not sure yeah. how you say the other guy's name. So what Japanese Man, guy versus Ogawa South African. To me, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, the Japanese dude, Ogawa, just, he put it on the South African dude. And I couldn't believe the fact that that guy has he does he not get those two knockdowns towards the end of the fight? He would have lost that fight on those cards. Yeah. I don't know what the hell those judges were watching. That, that those was are horrible. Shit cards, man. Like to me, he yeah, to me he completely outboxed uh, the South African dude, and he should have been winning that fight by at least five or six points, in my opinion, uh, before they you know before the end of the fight. The fact that he needed those knockdowns just to win, that would have been a travesty if that guy would have gotten robbed. I mean, that, that's all I got to say about the judging uh, that night in New York. That's horrible. And then with the other card, um, I agree. Russell Jr. got a test, maybe one that he didn't think he was going to get from uh, the kid from uh, Mexico. He gave him as good as he could. And I thought Russell was a little fortunate to walk away with that fight, I thought there could have been a case made that um, the other guy got a draw at the very least out of the fight. So it's going to be interesting to see what, how they move Russell from this point forward, because I think they thought this guy was going to be an easy, stay busy fight. And it ended up being a whole hell of a lot tougher than they imagined. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, with uh, Aleem, man, Aleem looked terrible. Um, he looked rusty. He looked like his timing was off. He looked like he got tired in the second half of that fight, and he let Baez um, stay in that fight, and Baez actually gave him um, a rougher fight than he than he was uh, thinking he was going to get. Same thing. I think he's very fortunate he got out of there with a majority decision, and I'm curious to see what they do with him next. He's not going to get a shot at the titles for sure, but I'd be interested to see what opponent they put in front of him next. I think with him, they have to keep him busier instead of let him, letting him languish on the sidelines for months at a time like they did. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be, I'll be curious to see what they do next with Aleem since I know he's not going to get a shot at the title. And then with the main event, um, I think uh, I had that fight going either way. You could have scored it seven to five, Mike, either way. I wouldn't have had a problem if they would have called it a draw. I just have an issue with the fact that two of those judges thought Fulton won eight rounds. I thought that was a little unfair to Figueroa. I thought Figueroa yeah. had more than a few moments in the fight where he did something to Fulton that none of the other guys who had fought Fulton did before. And that was, he was able to trap him in the corner on multiple occasions. And he was able to land a lot of hard body shots and a lot of head shots that looked like they rattled Fulton. And I hadn't seen Fulton get rattled before uh, Saturday night. So I think it was a little unfair that they scored it so wide for Fulton. I think Figueroa deserved a little bit better faith in that. 
I would like to see a rematch. I don't think it's going to happen. I think yeah. Brandon has outgrown 22, and I think he needs to go to 26. So maybe down the line at some point, if Fulton goes up to 26, maybe we see a rematch at that point. But I think right now, I think Figueroa needs to move up and, and kind of start getting busy at 126 because I think he was really draining himself to get to 22. And, and it showed in that fight, he didn't have that extra little boost in his tank towards the end. And I think that kind of, um, you know, helped Fulton survive that onslaught towards the end. I think had Figueroa been able to make weight and not have trouble, I think he probably wins the fight. But, you know, that's how the the fight game goes sometimes. And then uh, for this weekend's fight, Mike, I, I agree. I think the only way I would love JoJo to win because I think he's a, a guy that's very easy to root for. He goes out there and he gives it his all no matter what, even though he is a little bit of a, a limited fighter. But I think you're right, Mike. I think Haney and his team are going to literally try to just stick to sticking and moving, and they're not really going to try to engage with him. They're going to just try to, you know, outbox him and just try to win a decision, which, you know, it, it, unfortunately Haney's not going to be the type of guy who's going to go in there and be fan-pleasing uh, by any stretch. He, mm-hmm. All he cares about is winning and getting his next uh, painting. So I think Haney's going to probably win a, a decision. It'll be close, but I think he ends up winning a decision um, at the end of the day. As much as I want JoJo to pull off the upset, I just, I like, I'm with you, Mike. I just, I, I would love to see it, but I, I right now I can't. But, hey, that's why we fight the fights. I mean, I didn't think Cambosos would win, and look what happened. <laughs> so, that's right. You know, that's you just right. never know. Yeah. All right, Mike. Uh, I'm sure you got a bunch of other people waiting. That's my call. All, All right, bro. Right. Have a good night. All right. Okay. Uh, all right, we got a bunch of calls lining up here, guys. So just if you're on the line, just hang on, all right? Um, I will get to you. I will get to you. All right. Uh, let's see. Come on, phone. There we go. 570, you're on the show. What's up? Yo, Mike, that here. I want to ask you something. If uh, you and some of the uh, Ring Magazine compatriots could come together and petition for 15-round fights coming back only when there's a unification match between two belt holders, not when a guy unifies, when it's a unification between, say, a belt holder and another belt holder or two belt holders and another belt holder. Because what we saw this weekend with Figueroa and Fulton Okay, if that was a 15-round fight, Figueroa knocks out Fulton. Mm. And I'm a little hot because I bet Stephen Fulton to win by decision, and I won my bet. But I feel horrible because I believe Figueroa won, or at very least, it was a draw. And when you have guys that have the style like a Fulton, and he fought valiantly. I mean, he threw the kitchen sink at Figueroa, and he just couldn't hold the center. He got pushed to the ropes and he got bullied. And I counted easy seven rounds for him. And these judges, I think they're scoring based on a side. I think I'm, I think they're scoring based on who's the favorite and who's the underdog. It's, it's a problem that needs to be resolved. And the only way I could see it that everyone benefits here because let, let's go back why we had 15 round fights dissolved. 
is because it was the Dooku Kim Ray Mancini fight. Mm-hmm. And one guy was, was outgunned. It wasn't a mismatch, but he was clearly outgunned. But when you have two belt holders at the top of the game, two A-list fighters, elite fighters, very rare that you see a one-sided beating where there's uh, a ring fatality. And, and that's why I believe there, there should be four unification fights. It, it, it should be 15 rounds. Now, with heavyweights, maybe, maybe not. But it, with all the lower weight classes, I think that's a necessity. Because how, how much longer can we see decisions where one guy is, is gone after 12 rounds? I mean, Fulton was done. And you see Figueroa, he was still fresh. And for him to lose that decision, that really bothers me. I know you, you believe he won, Fulton, and that's fine. We all have our opinion. But I just think boxing is being, it's being cheated in a way because we're not seeing the true best being rewarded in fights anymore. Well, it's too I, political. You know, Doug Fisher agrees with you, uh, Thad, that he, Doug Fisher had um, Figueroa winning. And, I, you know, yeah, if right. you have Figueroa winning, you could absolutely make an argument for that. Um, the the punching as as far as landed punches was pretty close, but he was landing the harder shots yeah. and he was the more a- active guy. Much so, harder. Yeah. So uh, you could absolutely make a case that Figueroa won the fight. I'm just 115, 113 either way. I'm good with. Um, 116, 112 okay. is too wide. And I agree with you. Two of those judges had it way too wide By for far. Fulton. Yeah, and I, and I think judges are getting way too, you know, they're they're still in love with the Mayweather style, and uh, a lot of these fighters who fight like Mayweather will never get a decision like him. But then again, with the judges, I mean, they're so used to seeing Mayweather. Maybe we're going to see guys stinking the joint out, fighting the way that Mayweather did in most fights, like Haney this weekend. I think he's going to stink the joint out, and he's going to win a fight like one seventeen, one eleven. The other guy doesn't have Jojo Diaz doesn't have the power really to bother him even though his chin is, is iffy and the dimensions aren't there, the, the length, he doesn't have that type of style to really expose, you know, how to beat Haney. So we're going to see, you know, it's going to be a, a horrible fight. Um, we can, we can kind of mitigate that, you know, in, in, in the real elite matchups with the 15 round fight, that way it forces a guy with that Mayweather style to, to sit in the pocket more, you know, to do less running. And, and then the guy with a pressure style, you know, to be more effective. Guys that will be coming up will not try to be like Mayweather. They'll try to be like a Marvin Hagler where I'm going to pressure you and bust you up and you're going you're gonna to have hell lasting 15 rounds to beat me by decision. Because hmm. don't forget, Hagler gave up the right to that 15-round fight with Leonard and he paid for it. If he would have not taken the money, he would have beaten Leonard. He would have knocked him out or he would have won by decision. So, again, if you can do something about that, you know, get get the, you know, get the train rolling. That'd be great. I'll bring but, it um, up. I'll bring it up. One thing man. I want to tell you, please do. Um, and I think uh, Lopez' father, he's the Lavar Ball of boxing. Yeah, you don't know who Lavar Ball is. He's Lamelo Ball's father, right. the big baller brand. What a, an embarrassment he was. And in boxing, when you disgrace your opponents. Well, the way he has in the past with Lomachenko and Combosos comes back and bites you because Combosos had all the bulletin board material there can be to, to come in and beat his son. He 
lost that fight for his son on many, many occasions. And you listed a bunch of them. But the disrespect he had really was the, the I think, was the nail in the coffin. Because a lot of guys will come in, and when the going gets rough, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll look for a, a soft spot to land, you know, if, if you're comfortable with that. But against a guy like Lopez, who Cambosos absolutely hated coming into the fight, there was no way he was going to do that. He was going to die, risk dying before folding. So that was the difference. That was the difference right there. If that guy just kept his mouth shut the whole time, maybe Lopez would have knocked him out. Maybe he would have stopped him in that 10th round. But as we saw with Cambosos, he gutted it out, and then he came back. He came back, and he won those two rounds. Yeah. And again, the judges. Again, the judges. Don Trella. And you, yeah. you asked about what fight he scored. That was the seventh round of the Lomas, or the uh, Canelo round. versus Golovkin fight. Okay. Where it was the seventh okay. round, Golovkin dominated him, and somehow he scored that round yeah. for Canelo. He, again, is another problem with boxing. These judges need to be reviewed and upon cause removed from big-time fights. He's one of them. Please get him out of there. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's going to have to be rectified at some point. And like the last caller said about uh, John Abeck, um, when he fought Brant and he beat Brant, I, I came out and I said, Andrade's going to duck this guy. He's never going to fight him. I really want to put that on record because I don't think he's going to fight him, even if he has a mandatory. I think he'll ask to, the WBO to move up to 68 and petition for that rather than fight John Abeck. Because John Abeck said right off the bat, I'm not fighting Golovkin because, you know, he's from Uzbekistan. He's royalty. He's out of my era. Basically saying, like, his time is past for guys in my era I want Andrade he called him out after that fight so let's see if Andrade is the real deal and accepts that challenge whether it be as mandatory or not because that's a guy who wants to fight him and I believe that Jonabek knocks him out spark out so I want to get on on the record record, sir yeah on the record man I gotta jump to some other calls please do thank you thanks a lot man we got a bunch of calls, guys. So we we gotta um we gotta keep these quick. I just real quick, I wanna um uh hit uh say thank you to Joe Lassisi for the super chat. He says Andre beat Janabek. He's just another Euro bum that no one knows. He needs a Charlo or Triple G or move to 168 for history. Not no Janabek. I don't know, man. I, I think uh I think Thad was onto something. I, I think that. You know, Janabek wants to fight Andre. He's willing to fight him. He's calling him out. He wants him. Andre has been saying nobody wants to fight him. Well, here you go, dude. Here's a guy who's calling you out. So go ahead and fight him. Show us you are the man that you say you are. And then it'll build up some demand. We shall see. We shall see. Okay. Back to the phones. It looks like we got Rich Lopez on the phone. What's up, Rich? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good, bro. Good, man. Listen, yeah, I'll, I'll make this short. Um, just really quick, couple things. Um, well, first of all, I, I had a. It was. I have to say, it was a great night of boxing this past weekend. I think Good, the yeah. both yeah. Uh, main events, the, the zone and the Showtime, they just they delivered. Um, Combos Lopez, like like, it was way better than I anticipated. 
Um, and Sigurdorna and Sultan was uh, was everybody was expecting. So, I mean, first of all, I have to give credit to all the fighters involved with that. Um, with that being said, I'm, I'm glad um, going to the Lopez uh, Convulsus fight, I'm glad the right fighter won the fight. Um, I mean, Convulsus, you know what? He talked the talk, but he walked the walk, man. He was super confident going to that fight. Um, I was kind of, sh- to be honest, I was shocked that he was, I think it was like, wow, 13 to 1 underdog. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I did not see that whatsoever because I don't know, it was just a combination of people riding the Lopez band, you know, wag- bandwagon or, you know, people never seeing Gambosa eat fight. I mean, it could have been a combination of that. But um, I saw enough of Gambosa as far as fights and clips to say, like, okay, this, I didn't pick him to win. I picked Lopez, but I figure. He was going to give Lopez a really hard fight. I didn't anticipate like a mismatch or anything when, when they were about to, uh, when they called that, announced that fight and thing. Uh, but either way, he, he, he took it to Lopez. And um, I, I I want to say, I think Lopez did underestimate uh, Combosis, but, yeah. uh, you know, and I know there's, I think there's some articles saying, you know, he was going through some personal issues, but. Hey, listen, part of the fight game is you always got to be ready and trained for everybody. You don't take anybody lightly in the box. That's just how it is. So um, I, would like to see a, I would like to see a rematch, but it, it, it sounds like um, Lopez is going to eventually probably move up and wait. So I, and I, if I recall in the post-fighting year, I think Combos was actually like, I think challenges to rematch in Australia. He didn't seem like too eager to take that. No <laughs> way. <offer>. No way. <clears throat> No, and yeah, as far as the father, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's a he's a clown, man. I mean, um, kind of like he kind of reminds you of Angel Garcia. Like they talk a big game, and they're 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 the ones that act like they're fighters. They're they're doing the fights, but <laughs> exactly, and, I don't know. They just kind of yeah. And then going to the um, Figueroa Fulton fight, um, that was a good fight. It was a close fight. I. Me personally, I felt that Figueroa won that fight seven rounds to five, but it was really close. It could have gone either way. Um, I know Figueroa would say that he got robbed, but it was basically a close fight that just could have gone either way. Um, I, I think I think I, I, I picked I picked actually Figueroa to win that fight. I really thought that, and I saw more people picking Fulton, but I really thought it was a 50-50 fight because. Uh, even though Fulton has, you know, the speed and the skills and you know, he's just a better boxer. But Figueroa has proven to me in prior fights, you know, and plus he's got the size that, you know, he um, has a beat his opponents based on attrition, his aggression, his body punches. And, I, you know, I wasn't sure if Fulton was able to hang in with that kind of um, style, especially in, in, a, in a long fight. Plus, I, I, I saw Figueroa with a really good chin. In this fight, like he could take a really good punch, and I didn't think Fulton would be able to hurt him. So that's why I thought the fight was a little bit more like a 50 50 uh, toss up kind of fight. But, um, and it proved to be that way because, like I said, it was really, really close. And I think with with that fight, there should be a rematch. Um, uh, it didn't seem like Figueroa was, you know, talking too much about doing a rematch, but um, I think if he looks back at a the fight, they'll probably, they'll probably run it back again. And um, no, I do agree with you about uh, Danny Roman. I think he, he's a live underdog with anybody top of the uh, 122 uh, division. Um, 
you know, if you should fight the winner of, oh, you should fight Fulton or, um, what's the other guy? What's his name? Akabali? Um, the guy they fought before. Akadalov? That would be good if they run, if they do a rematch. Yeah, Akadalov. I'm sorry, Akadalov. Because that, yeah. that was a close fight itself. And I, I, per- yeah. I personally thought, thought that fight could have gone either way, too. And I think Danny Roman deserves a, a rematch of that guy as well. So he's definitely, he's definitely in the mix. And, um, Really, really quick uh, for for this weekend's fights. I I think we could see repeat of another good night on I don't know what the hell happened there, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to drop you, Rich. I don't know. Your phone went crazy, or <laughs> your phone. Uh, your phone blew the hell up. So uh, sorry about that, guys. If that just blew out your ears. Uh, by the way. We have hundreds of people watching. At one point, we were up to, I think, 380 live. We only have 126 likes. Hit the damn thumbs up, people. Hit the thumbs up if you're enjoying this content. Okay, let's go over to Ireland. I think this is Mark from Unrivaled. He hasn't been on the show in a while. So let's 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 see what Mark's got to say, because I know he's going to have some good stuff. Mark, I believe this is you, Mark. You're on the show. What's up, brother? I'm very good. How are you? Good, good. So I, I want to start this real quick by just saying one thing, real specific, really easy. I want there to be a petition because I think Ring Magazine did something wrong last year. Okay. And I've held this for a while, and I need to say this. Joey Gamash should have been accredited for the trainer of the year, not Tiafimo And I think there should be a petition for the first time ever, retroactively to remove him for trainer of the year. He wasn't training himself. Joey was. Hmm. And everybody knows that. So he got that, and it's a fraudulent title. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything. He didn't even say a word in the corner. Anything he did say was retarded. Just like we saw against George Gambosis. I, I, I wanted to bring that point because I think it's very I think it's very unfair that the real person behind the walk and the person who was doing things didn't get the credit. So I really want that to be brought up. I know that it won't happen because nobody does that because it's unfair. But it was unfair in the first place. Hey, bro, I, I will, I will look at. That. I will put it to the ring ratings committee. I promise you that. Um, I will, I will quote you on this call on my wrap up that I will do on RingTV.com tomorrow. So you will be quoted on the Ring TV website. Okay. Um, so look for that. By the way, everybody, I do that every week. So if you call in, you can check out your quote on Ring TV's website. If you're not checking out my recap every week, you're missing out. But Mark, I will get you on the record on the website and I will bring it up to the committee. I promise you that, brother. I will do that. Yeah, because I, I really feel like that man, he keeps talking about this shit. Like, I'm, I was the trainer here. No, you weren't. Stop living off of Joey Dimash's work. Hmm. It's, it's disgraceful. This man's living vicariously through everybody else's accomplishments by his own. He, can, he can't do jack shit. I'm just going to be straightforward. I know people in the comment section who will give you better advice than, what are you doing? Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely yeah. awful. Absolutely. Don't use your jabs. Oh, slow down. Speed up. Knock him out. What? what the fuck do you want the kid to do? He's a, he's a young man. He needs instruction. And you're out here treating him like he's a chick. That's what you're doing. Like, I, 
I feel really, really disappointed in that whole corner team. Fiatimo, he, he, he believes in the hype a bit too much. How many times do we see a fighter following after the power, right? So they're running around hearing about how powerful they are, and they fall in love with that. Treat your opponents with respect. Fighters like George Gambosis, maybe they're not the greatest pure boxers on earth, but they will give you problems if you hesitate them for 12 rounds and do nothing else but throw one singular punch every single time. It was like watching Anthony Eric versus Lyndon Arthur, only with more volume and a little bit more power. That's what it was really like. Hmm. It was just dreadful game plan. And that, that will tell you, when you have a fighter like Tiafimo, who was capable of beating Alma when he was under Joey Gamash, right? Or knocking out Comey when he's under Joey Gamash, and then he moves into George Campos or something like that. It puts him on the same level as Kinsundia Joyce. It's ridiculous. Empty the tank. What are you doing? Get him out of here. Same thing. It's the same thing. And all in all, though, big credit to George. He did what he needed to do. Right? He boxed very consistently. Fantastic job. I loved watching. I actually loved the fact that George came in looking for that overhand right and that left hook around the guard into the body. Yeah. And then Tiffany didn't even have a guard. Oh, shit. What was he doing? I think he was surprised. What was he doing? I think he was surprised and unprepared. And he was not getting technical advice. Sometimes something's happening in the ring, Mark, and you're getting caught with a certain shot, and you just don't see it happening in real time. And you need your corner to give you that technical advice, you know, and tell you, hey, he's catching with the check hook when you're bouncing in, faint on the way in, let him shoot that, move around it, then counter, you know, something. You need to hear technical advice. And Senior was giving him none, none. Yeah, fair enough. Now, let, let me say this real quick. Fulton Figueroa, right? I scored a draw. I okay. think where a lot of people are going wrong in terms of calling this fight a robbery, I have to say this, Mike, right? Is I counted six to seven swing rounds in that fight. Six to seven of them are pure swing rounds. And I've seen everybody's scorecard. You know how many people who scored it to Figueroa have the same cards? Nearly nobody. Do you know how many people who scored it to Fulton who have the same cards? Nearly nobody. Because there was too many swing rounds. People were picking rounds and guessing because so many of them were tight. Figueroa threw more shots. Some of them were illegal shots back of the head, on the hip, like the bottom of the hip, like literally on the thigh. So it's a leg shot. Some of them are on the nuts. Some are good clean blows. Fulton, he landed some shots that were more eye catching. Figueroa fought him more. But you don't score a fight based off of who caught you more. You score a fight based off of who's winning each round. You can hurt a guy in a round, right? You hurt him twice in a fight. You'll win those two rounds, but it's still only two rounds. I thought it was a draw. I think there should be an immediate rematch, but it looks like they're going to move man up. And by the way, yeah. before they leave, because I know that you've got other callers, I want to say this right now. Janabek will get knocked out good in Petrie's Really? Okay. Right? And by the way, to everybody else out there who's calling Janabek a Euro one, the motherfucker's Asian, okay? Kazakhstan is in Asia. Learn the <laughs> geography. All right, have a good one, Mike. Okay, Mark. <laughs> have a good one, man. Uh, <laughs> Technically, Kazakhstan is, uh, I believe, Central Asia. Uh, the people there, though, are an ethnic mix, and they are Eurasian, most of them. They are a mixture of Eastern European and Asian 
ancestry. There are people from Kazakhstan that look like the Klitschko brothers. Vladimir Klitschko was actually born in Kazakhstan. Uh, there are people from Kazakhstan that look almost, you know, three quarters Asian. So um, it, it's definitely an ethnically diverse country, uh, but it is in Central Asia. So um, I don't know. It, it Socially, people from that part of the world are seen as, quote unquote, Russian here in America. And it's interesting because this is something me and my wife talk about because she is, of course, uh, Chinese. Uh, she's actually three quarters Chinese and a quarter Vietnamese. And we talk about this because, um, you know, our kid's going to be Eurasian and um, or Hapa is, is a word you hear a lot in California. But, you know, socially, the, the kid is pretty much going to be seen um, increasingly. People of Eurasian ancestry are, are seen in America as, quote unquote, white. Uh, you see that more and more. Um, even a lot of college admissions now uh, that that's they consider Asians white people. So um, I told my wife the other day, we saw this article that said um, there are several universities now in Canada and America that are considering Asians white people and everyone else is quote unquote people of color. By the way, I hate that term. It's so fucking stupid. Um, it, just all, all these terms are actually really fucking stupid. But anyway, I told my wife, uh, you know, I guess you're white 2.0 and she was laughing her ass off. But anyway, okay, tangent, keep it to boxing. I know, I get it, I get it, I get it. Couple of super chats. Um, let's see, Iceman with the super chat. Thank you, man. He says, uh, salute to Unrivaled Boxing Talk. Good stuff from Mark. And uh, Remy with the super chat. Thank you. He says, Unrivaled with that knowledge. Everyone loves uh, Mark's rants. Mark got on here and did the damn thing. Look, Mark makes a good point. That um, Gamashi d- deserves, I-, I think, more credit than he got. And it was kind of like this stealth. Uh, Michael Mendiolas talked about this in the chat. Uh, you know, Eric Morales is getting a lot of credit for Jaime Munguia improving him, but the guy's really, really working and in, in, in doing the improvements day in and day out with Munguia. They're not getting the credit. And you can kind of say the same thing a little bit here with Tio. Um, with uh, Gamashi out of that corner, you saw what happened Saturday. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, okay, let's click this. Uh, let's get back to the phones. Uh, let's see. Let's click on this next call here. 214. Looks like we got Dallas, Texas on the line. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? What's up? Who are we talking to? Uh, Justin from Dallas. Justin from Dallas. What's up, man? What you got? Uh I only watched um, the the zone card. I'm going to watch the Showtime card after this, but uh, so I wanted to see my boy Tiafimo Lopez fight, and uh, man, it wasn't anything what I was expecting. I predicted him to win in the ninth round by KO or TKO, but uh, I knew that George Cambosis was good because I was watching his fight with Lee Selby. At first, I thought he had lost, but I went back to rewatch it, and I thought he won it. And uh, man, George, what he was awesome in the fight. You know, yeah, it really, really shocked me when he uh, dropped uh, on the first round. I'm like, whoa, yeah, it, it was a great fight, but not really a great fight for Tiafimo. It was just George, he, he was great. Tiafimo was okay, and you know, it was uh, man, I'm just disappointed the way he come. I, I, I can't believe he came out out in the first round actually trying to KO on. I like, I thought he was just saying that, you know just to say it, you know, I didn't think he was actually going to go out there and do it. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of George Kambosa now, and I'm, I'm very disappointed the way Tia Fimo acted after, uh, after the fight, telling, 
interrupting George. You know, that was just yeah. disgraceful. Yeah, I'm, I'm with not, you. I'm just not a fan of that anymore. I think he needs help, psychological help. I think he needs to get away from his dad and R- Roly Romero. Those guys aren't going to help him in boxing. He needs to stay away from those dudes. I hear you, man. I agree with you 100%. I, I think that right now they need to get him away from the family, get him away from everybody, and put him in a gym in Vegas with, with a team of people that just focus on boxing 100%. Get the dad out of the picture. It's bad news. Yeah. And the Kenichi Algawa fight. Yeah. I like, a zoo, I like that uh, South African guy. I thought yeah. he was pretty good in the Martin Ward fight. But, and he's really good with the shoulder roll. I like, I like him. But, you know, Kenichi was pressuring him smart, and he was, like, he wasn't, like, hesitant, but he was, like, cautious, and he was, and he was, he was being effective when, when he tried to pressure him, and he was landing the better shot, except for every now and then, as Azula would, uh, would come back. But most, mainly, it was just him. And uh, it's crazy that the scorecards were that close, but I'm glad he dropped him at least two times. And uh, hopefully he passes his drug test. That's the only <laughs> problem I have with him. But yeah, after that, that's that's it. You know, I thought it was a great fight, great night of boxing. It was, you know? yeah, it really was. And that's what's getting lost. You know, I, I feel like I've done a disservice to Cambosos, man, and just the whole night because it was a good night of boxing, and I've been talking more about Tio and how they screwed up instead of all the yeah. things that Cambosos did good. Um, you know, so I need to check yeah, myself a, on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a T. I'm a big TFL fan. At first, I kind of felt sorry for him, but you know, I thought about him like, you know what? I should be, uh, uh, you know, um, being more uh, congratulatory towards uh, George Cambosis because he did everything he needed to do. He put on an awesome show, and he showed a lot, all, almost all his skills. I don't know if he showed all his skills, and uh, yeah, man, like. He, you know, he was fucked up for what he said. For for what he said, man, I'm not I'm not feeling him right now. I hear you. Anyway, that's my call. All right, Justin, have a good one, bro. Thanks for calling in, man. Yeah. All right, um, got a couple more. We're gonna jump up to Illinois. We got seven seven three. You're on the show. What's going on? What's up, brother? How are you? Good. How are you? Who are we talking to? Talking from Kevin from Chicago. Oh, Kevin from Chicago. I thought that might have been you, man. <laughs> What's up? How you doing? Uh, pretty good. I was going to say, I thought, I thought he could have gotten him out of there. I thought if um, Kimbosa pushed the pressure, he was making him miss a lot. Like, we saw Siofimo slowing down, but it's almost like he would make him miss and it would back up. Like, make him miss and come forward, try to wear him out some more. Like, it was on that 11th to 12th round, it's almost like he was a sitting duck there. Like, he didn't have nothing left. He was just sitting there in the, uh, sitting in, there in the um, middle of the ring. And I felt like Combosa should have pushed the pace more. Um, maybe, maybe he got a stoppage. I felt like he was, he was that drained, that tired, that he could have got him out of there. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I think that if you're Cambosos, you're winning those rounds and you don't want to give, remember he did get dropped in the 10th. You don't want to give Tio any chance to land a counter. I just thought he so clearly won those two rounds. I mean, yeah, it's possible. He could have stepped it up and, 
and got him out of there, maybe. But at the same time, it's like you're winning. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I I thought that he fought really, really well in those last two rounds. And I thought Tio looked really flat and was almost kind of in survival mode. He was kind of huffing and puffing and more just about defense in those last two rounds. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of uh, Tyson Fury in the first Wilder fight where he was he was making them miss a lot, but he wasn't making them pay. Mm. Make them miss and you make it pay. And it's like Lopez really wasn't um, respecting him too much. He, he's coming forward and throwing bombs. Like, oh, man, one of those bombs is going to land soon. And it did in the 10th round. Almost got him out of there. He's probably about one or two more clean punches away of getting stopped. Yeah. Um, that's why I felt like he could have. Can't let these dudes just come on and swing bombs on you and throwing the pitter pad. You got to get in there, make them pay for all these misses. He was throwing bombs and he was missing a lot. And then Tifimo would just take center again, catch his breath, and then go throw bombs again. So he could have got out of there, put some pressure on him, walked him down some. Um, he probably would have got him out of there. But either way, he fought a smart fight at the end of the day because he got the point. That's all that matters, right? That's all that matters, man. Get the W, get them belts. And now he's going to go to Australia for his next fight. He's going to make life-changing money. Um, I don't think it's going to be a rematch with Lopez, but I think that he'll have a voluntary defense in Australia early next year. He'll make a ton of cash. And then he's going to have options. I mean, perhaps he can unify everything. You know, I'm using air quotes because Haney has that W, that bogus WBC belt. He's got that option. I mean, he's going to have options. He's going to get a couple of paydays out of this, regardless of what happens. So it's just, hey, man, get the W, get the belts, you know, and that's what he did. Great performance. Also, the people who are all about the um, he's unified, he's unified, now they're all going to be quiet. They're saying the TFEMO, he's got all the belts, he's got all the belts. Now the people are saying that I guarantee he's going to change turn again. Uh, who cares? It doesn't matter anymore because he lost. I feel like that's going to be the narrative. But at the end of the day, Haney is the recognized WBC champion, is he not? It's a, man, you talk to the WBC, uh, Mauricio Suleiman, basically in a recent interview, basically said, I'm paraphrasing that, the WBC franchise belt is kind of like the WBA super belt. And the WBA... Uh, or the WBC belt is like the WBA regular belt. So he basically admitted that the, the title that Haney has is a secondary title. I, I tend to just not worry about all that shit. All the, the belts, all that shit's political. It's all, it's all political, man. The champion right now, the lightweight champion of the world is George Cambosis Jr. And Haney is a title holder. Cool. But the legit champion is Cambosis. And I just, you, you can't deny that. He beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. It, that That's it. How about this? Devin Amy beats Cambosa. I think he does. He's watching that. Yeah. I, 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 to say it. I, just think. I, I think that Haney is going to be favored in his fight against Diaz this weekend. If he wins that fight and then they both have one more fight early next year, then maybe they, unify all the belts, all the WBC belts, everything next summer or something, especially if Haney's willing to go to Australia, that'd be a huge event. That'd be a big, big deal. And if he wins that fight, 
he's a bright young star in this sport. He like that will be his arrival. You know what I'm saying? But there's a lot of things that got to take place between now and then. So. What do you think about Lomachenko? How is he going to squeeze into the mix? He gets this win against Comey, and he's right back in there. Well, there's another possibility. Lomachenko gets the win against Comey. Uh, maybe there's a Lomachenko-Cambosos fight next year because Loma would be more than willing to travel to Australia to take that fight. And that's probably a more lucrative fight for Cambosos. Fighting Lomachenko in Australia makes him more money than fighting Devin Haney in America. So there's a lot of possibilities. Like I said, Cambosos is going to be in demand. You know, um, what's funny is everyone's calling him out right now. Shakur Stevenson and all these people all of a sudden want to want to taste to him. They have wanted no interest in fighting uh, Tiafima Lopez. I think that's hilarious. But he's going to be in demand. He's going to be able to mandate some some big paydays. You know what it is? You don't see him as a heavy puncher. People are still. That's part of it. There's other parts, but, you know, there's. Yeah. There's things they see there, and they think it's uh, low-hanging fruit. So they're going after them, you know. It's the same reason why people don't want to fight Wilder. It's the heavy puncher is you're afraid to get knocked out, embarrassed, get their life twitched out when you're fighting the biggest, bullets of power punchers like Steve Fimo. Fair so enough. There's a possibility to be humiliated, left on the mat. And that's why I think they're not afraid to do it. It's, it's a volume puncher, not very heavy-handed, so that's why they're calling him out. Like, can't be underestimated now. He proved it's all wrong. Can't Absolutely. Be underestimated now. I'll leave you to it. All right, Kevin. Thanks a lot, Can't man. Greek. <laughs> My wife is on the chat. Hey, baby. She's, uh, she's waving hi to all you guys. Tiffany here on the chat. Hey, baby, while you're on, make sure you hit the thumbs up, okay? I could use some more thumbs up. Uh, I miss you. I hope you're having fun with the baby up there. Um, and, uh, I'll see you soon. Okay. We got a few more calls guys. We, but here's the thing. We've got nine more minutes left of screen time. So we are not getting to all these calls. I'm probably going to get to one more. Uh, we got a UK call that's been on, on hold for a while here, but first I want to get to this super chat from boxing wave. Thank you so much, brother. He says, I agree with the caller. George clearly won, but they could have easily gave Tiafimo the hometown gift draw. It all worked out for him in the end, but I expected a robbery. I, I did too. I did too. I kind of saw this, not exactly, but like it to me, it kind of reminded me of the Charlo Castaño fight where they found a way to give Charlo that draw because I thought Castaño won. And they're going to do a rematch early next year. And it's Charlo that's going to make the adjustments and get the W. And generally speaking, with these developmental kind of fights, and the Charlos are still developing. I don't care what they try to, you know, the marketing people try to tell you. Uh, if you have a tough fight like that, you get the draw, you improve in the rematch, right? Because I do think Charlo has more levels than Castaño, and he's going to make the adjustments to win that rematch. And it wouldn't have surprised me if that's what we saw in this fight. If it ended up being a draw and, you know, Tio escapes with his titles, right? But the difference here and why they couldn't take it from dude is because Cambosis went out and won the 11th and 12th rounds. And him doing that the way he did, that took the fight, man. If Tio had followed up on what he did in the 10th round and won the 11th and 12th, then he would have won the fight or at least gotten a draw. All right, guys, they were to do one more call because we got seven more minutes of screen time. Let's jump over to this call. All right, we got 776 on the line from the UK. What's up? You're on the show. 
Oh, hi, Mike. It's uh, Zach from the UK. Zach, what's how up? Going? Good. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I've only been watching the fight uh, today, and uh, to be honest with you, before the fight, I put my hands up. I actually did think um, Lopez was going to knock um, Cambosis out. I mean, the only other fight I did watch was um, Cambosis um, beating, you know, old Lee Selby. And I thought, you know, Lee Selby's not a lightweight. And, you know, I thought he's kind of towards the end of his career. So I, I'll be honest, I didn't think much of Cambosis. I just mm. thought Lopez is a bigger guy. He's got the power. And uh, he's going to, you know, he's going to knock him out within the first five, six rounds. But to be honest with you, Cambosis um, surprised us with that um, with that jab of his. I think he kept um, uh, going with the jab all night. And I think one thing that was really good was he started off with the jab and then the left hook followed yeah. up, and he did that all night. And yeah. it landed. Yeah. It landed over and over. And it landed over and over again. That was kind of poor defense from, uh, uh, yeah, Lopez. And I think the other thing was, um, so that's one thing he was doing. And then I think the other thing was the overhand right. And that landed as well. <laughs> yeah. A bunch uh, of times. And, and man, I'm telling you, Zach, in, in the corner, Tio Sr. wasn't giving his fighter direction. And those punches kept landing. And Sr. should have told him, hey, man, yeah. he's, he keeps throwing a jab left hook. And he keeps fainting and throwing an overhand right. Look for those punches. You know? But he, he just... Nah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I echo the sentiments of the earlier callers. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, he needs to get rid of his dad. I, I mean, I thought um, Danny Garcia's dad was quite bad, but I suppose he can actually train this fighter. Whereas um, Lopez's father, he was just, he was. I mean, I remember at one point, I think it was in the first, in the first five rounds, and he was saying um, um, to Lopez, um, you're, "You're doing really well. You're doing really well, champ," and something like that, something along those lines. And I'm thinking, where's the direction? Where's the tactics? Why right. why are you not kind of instructing him? You know, you, you, your fight is, you keep getting caught. Yeah, so, yeah, you need to get rid of his dad, to be honest with you. Um, And I think I saw your tweet. I think I replied back to it today. It's actually quite bad how Lopez started off right at the top and now he just tumbled down and lost against kind of beating a powerful pound fighter in... Um, Lomachenko to kind of um, losing against his undefeated mandatory. So, I don't know. I wanted to ask you, Mike, where do you think uh, Tio goes from here then? I think he's going to move up to 140. And there are a lot of mm -hmm. options for him there. With You know, Top Rank has several fighters there. You got Zapata, you got Ramirez. So, he could kind of test the waters there. I think him versus Zapata would be a good fight. Although, Zapata's probably going to go for a title shot. So, there's, there's definitely options for him at 140 but i think that um the first thing is i agree with you zach he's got to get it, it's it's tio jr is not going to do this somebody at top rank needs to get teofimo lopez jr in a room and say listen your dad's a problem and we need to separate you from yeah. the family structure out of that get you out of that bubble and get you focused on on boxing 24 7 they kind of need to do an aj like aj is kind of doing a little bit of an overhaul right now and I like that move. Yeah. And I think we need to see that from Tio Jr. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a bit gutted because as a Lomachenko fan, I kind of want to see that rematch because I think, yes, Lomachenko did get beat comfortably by Lopez, but I just thought 
He was Lomachenko wasn't insulted in that fight. He started far too late. He would have been interested how Lomachenko and Lopez would have fought in the rematch, but I think his um, Lopez is yeah, he's too big for the way. I mean, he looks quite gaunt in the uh, at the weigh-in as well. Like it's like he just he just looks like he's just about kind of made the weight to be honest with you. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think one forty would be good. I think. I mean, at this point, I see obviously Josh Taylor or he's too good for anyone at the moment. But yeah, I think he's got Ramirez, Zepeda, and quite a few fighters there as well. Is he still with Top Rank? Yes, he is. Yeah, they re-upped their deal earlier this year, so they still have a deal. He's going to be with Top Rank for a while. So you know, they're smart. They know what they're doing. Um, they, they'll move him to 140, and he's he's going to do just fine there. And by the time, you know, you got to remember. Uh, Taylor's big at 47, or I'm, I'm sorry, at 40. He's going to move up to 47 yeah, yeah, and eventually yeah. fight Terrence Crawford. They're going to try to do that fight. So all the titles will be vacant at 140, and Tio is going to have an opportunity to fight for vacant titles. I absolutely believe he will be a world champion again at junior welterweight. Another thing I was thinking about, like with America, you've got so many kind of um, well, you've got Virgil Ortiz in front of Jerome Ennis, and then you've got obviously the, all the lightweights and Shakur Stevenson, so Tank and Haney and Lopez. Who, in your opinion, do you think is going to kind of come out on top? I know it's a bit kind of, uh, uh, it's a bit hard to kind of judge. I mean, I thought Lopez was going to be that guy, especially being with top rank and the way top rank kind of uh, nurture fighters and stuff. And I thought he would be the guy that was kind of be the one that that would eventually become the most accomplished. Who do you think at the moment from the current crop would kind of be the most accomplished by the end of their career? It's probably going to be Shakur Stevenson at this point. It looks like Shakur Stevenson. Yeah. It could be Devin Haney. Um, but, you know, these things change. But right now, Stevenson is the guy where it's like, wow, there really might be something there. But Zach, we got a minute left, man. So I, I got to let you go. But good yeah, stuff. Cool, All right, man. Have a good one. All right, guys. That is it, man. Um, and I'm sorry. We still got like 10 more calls. <laughs> but we're on the WBC network, and we got to wrap it at two hours. All right, guys. So uh, let's hit that outro music. So um, thank you for an awesome, awesome show and um, for listening to my ranting. Hopefully I was uh, coherent enough. (laughs) I made sense. Um, We'll do it uh, show Friday on my channel. So look for that. Okay, guys. Uh, We got a bunch of stuff coming up, man. A bunch of stuff in the works. Remember that show here in Atlanta this Saturday. Okay. Free stream on the WBC network. I will be doing the commentary. All right, guys. Have a great night and we'll see you at the fights.